Philadelphia, city of brotherly love, uh, home of Bill Cosby, which still makes me sad, uh, and the Fresh Prince of Bel Air, West Philadelphia, born and raised, all that kind of good stuff. Um, Cheesesteaks, Liberty Bell, Benjamin Franklin, all that kind of stuff. Huge amount of history in Philadelphia. And, you know, I, I don't, you've, if you've never been, then, you know, you probably have this romanticized view of it. But uh, Philadelphia, I think, has a better reputation than it deserves. And um, we're going to fix that this week on Our Weird World. Welcome to Our Weird World. I'm your host, John Henson. And yeah, doing a little Always Sunny intro. Uh, I don't I don't really watch that show, but I've seen enough episodes of it that it's a very Philadelphia show. So that's what we're going with to start the show. I just also, I'm not going to lie, I like um, just switching up the theme songs. It just, it makes this show feel a little bit more special. But um, going to have a couple of other uh, different music beds in the show, but we'll get to those later. Uh, this week, we are talking about Philadelphia. Um, I, you know, it's not my favorite city. Not going to lie. I, if I'm going to choose a city in Pennsylvania, I'm going to go Pittsburgh. Uh, it's just it's prettier to me. I, I enjoy, you know, the Three Rivers area, uh, the Mount Washington area, just their whole downtown uh, it's just a really nice place. Um, we'll say that the cheesesteak in Philadelphia, a better sandwich than Promanti Brothers. Uh, Promanti Brothers is basically a salty, starchy sandwich, right? Cheesesteak, still very salty, but at least you can get some more flavor in there. Um, that being said, Philadelphia cheesesteak, overrated as a sandwich. All right, whatever. It's crappy, terrible, thinly sliced beef with cheese whiz or provolone. You guys can't even make up your mind which way you should do it. That should tell you something right there. And then, ooh, peppers and onions, cool. Whatever. All right? It sucks either way. All right? It's just, it's it's like the one of the worst northeastern cities. I don't even know if the northeast claims them or not. But, um, that being said, you know, Philadelphia, very old city, a lot of history, and we're going to look at some of it today. Uh, we're looking at the stories of Steubens Firth, William Kimmler, uh, The Blob, and Ed Savitz. So get ready. Uh, if you like Philadelphia, this isn't going to make you like it anymore. Uh, if you were on the rocks about maybe visiting Philadelphia, eh, this may deter you, and for good reason. Let's jump into it. Yeah, little Rocky theme, Rocky associated with Philadelphia. So there's that. 
Um, anyway, uh, we're going to start our stories uh, back in the 1700s. Um, back in 1793, an epidemic of yellow fever swept through the city of Philadelphia, killing 5,000 people, which at the time was roughly 10% of the population. Um, so think about that, how, how freaked out um, you, know, you would be with that. Um, by the end of that epidemic, the remaining half of Philadelphia's population fled the city in fear. Um, so if you compare that to the, the COVID pandemic, you know, let's say COVID swept through uh, Philadelphia, you know, if 5,000 people was 10% of the population, I'm so bad at math. I think that's 50,000 people. Yeah. 50,000 people. So now, you know, the city of Philadelphia is up to like millions of people. We'll call it 5 million. It may be more than that, but, um, man, 10% of 5 million looking at what, like 500,000 or maybe 50,000. I don't know. You guys, math is so hard, but like really, Think about, you know, just 50,000 people in one city, which happened all over the country, uh, 500,000 people, uh, which passed that mark too. So anyway, I don't know why. This, look, my point is a lot of people died from yellow fever and it happened way back then. A lot of people freaked out about it, just like a lot of people freaked out about COVID, you know, sicknesses happen. Um, the problem, and, and just like with COVID, you know, doctors had no idea how, at least at first, how yellow fever was spread or where it originated from, uh, but they were determined to figure it out. And Steubensfurth, a medical student at the University of Pennsylvania, began researching the disease in 1804 and quickly made a realization. Uh, he noticed that the fever was at its height during the hot summer months, and Using that observation, which to his credit was completely accurate, Firth hypothesized that the fever wasn't actually contagious, but was just a product of heat and stress in the summer. So he thought that the fever wasn't actually a real disease. It was just something that happened to people when they got too hot, which is really stupid. And look, you can say hindsight's twenty twenty all you want, but that's really stupid, all right? Because it's like... It's like people, it's not like summer just became a thing in 1793 when the yellow fever was running all through Philadelphia. Like summer has always been a thing. It's always been hot in the summer months. And to, to just think that all of a sudden people just developed a new symptom or a new way that their body reacted to being hot. It's pretty stupid. Um, but here's the thing, man, Firth was so sure that he was correct that he happily began performing experiments on himself to prove it. Uh, he willingly put himself around people with yellow fever who were vomiting profusely, which if you don't know anything about yellow fever is the traditional symptom. Um, but he didn't stop there. All right. He made incisions on his arm and smeared their vomit directly into the cut. Uh, and when he didn't catch the fever that way, he started pouring the vomit directly into his eyeballs and this is not like ordinary vomit and i apologize if you're uh eating breakfast or lunch or whatever right now but um this is not normal vomit all right it is black vomit and that's look that's a telltale sign you're pretty sick and you're probably gonna die but steven's he didn't care he is rubbing black vomit into his eyeballs and somehow that didn't get him sick either so this is so gross uh <laughs> 
I'm sorry I didn't warn you beforehand. You can skip ahead if this is bothering you. Um, Firth then started frying the vomit and inhaling the fumes, which I don't know how that doesn't make him throw up. Like it's it's amazing, uh, but when that didn't work, he then just began drinking it fresh from the patient's mouth. <laughs> just like, hey man, mama bird, baby bird, this let's go right into my mouth. Come on, wide open. Ah, uh, come on. <laughs> That's so gross. Um, he also began smearing patient's saliva, blood, and urine all over his body. And at some point, you just kind of have to ask yourself, like, is he doing this? for medical research or is he just into some weird kinky stuff because this is gross it's just philadelphia um i look to the to, to philadelphia's credit not everyone smears vomit and blood all over themselves but as you will see steuben's firth not the only guy who's like this um despite all of that though Firth never contracted the fever, which made him think that the fever wasn't contagious. And look, I get that logical leap, right? You're smearing all of this excrement all over your body from someone who is allegedly very sick, and it's not giving you the same symptoms. At least I think. I don't know. This guy seems pretty flighty enough in his logical leaps that, like, if the fumes or the thought of someone throwing up directly into his mouth did not in turn make him throw up or the smells or the, (laughs) I'm really hoping I'm making some of you like gag right now. This is fun for me. Um, but like if that didn't make him throw up or if it did, I almost guarantee you, he would have been like, Oh man, now I've got it. That's so crazy. I guess the, I guess it is contagious, but no, he never did. Like that's, that's what's insane. I think the most about this is this did not bother him at all. But, uh, a few years later, however, scientists discovered that the patients who were in the black vomit stage of the fever were just no longer contagious. So really Firth was just being gross for no reason. Um, for what it's worth, the actual cause of yellow fever wasn't discovered for another 60 years until a Cuban scientist, Carlos Finley discovered that it was transmitted by mosquitoes. So, um, yeah, basically, you know, Steuben's first, his contribution to history is just being gross and for letting people vomit all over him for just to find out that he didn't really need to. So there you go. Uh, next we go to the story of William Kimmler. Uh, William Kimmler was born to alcoholic German immigrants in Philadelphia in 1860. Uh, he dropped out of school at age 10 and began working in his father's butcher shop. And after both of his parents died, alcohol related deaths, Kimmler migrated to New York and became a peddler, uh, eventually owning his own horse and buggy despite his own alcoholism. Shocking, right? Um, on March 29th, 1889, Kimmler was accused of murdering his common law wife, Tilly Ziegler with a hatchet. Uh, He was convicted and sentenced to death less than two months later. Now, what makes this special is that in past convictions, those uh, who were sentenced to death were hanged. But New York had just instituted a new death option at the start of the year, electrocution. And so Kimmler was the first to be sentenced to the brand new electric chair at Auburn Prison on the north end of Owasco Lake in the central part of New York. Uh, The chair had been invented in 1881 by Buffalo dentist Alfred Southwick and had undergone rigorous testing and legislation to make sure that it was humane enough to kill people with, which is an ironic statement to make. I also think it's funny that a dentist 
invented the electric chair as if people needed another reason to be afraid of dentists. Um, Kemmler's lawyers obviously appealed that sentence and the case became part of the propaganda fueled war of currents between Thomas Edison's direct current model and Nikola Tesla and George Westinghouse's alternating currents. Uh, if you remember, we discussed this uh, a couple of weeks ago in the elephants episode as the, the hanging of uh, Topsy, the elephant was also part of this war of currents between Edison and Tesla. Um, so the thing about it is that the chair was fueled by alternating current, which Edison claimed was proof that particular, that that particular form of electricity was violent and very dangerous and that his direct current was safe and great and happy and should be used by everyone. Uh, in response, George Westinghouse helped pay for additional legal counsel for Kimmler to aid in his appeal. Uh, but it was actually shot down in October after the U S Supreme court ruled that death by electrocution was neither cruel nor unusual. Which, you know, I don't know. I mean, more people are shot, shot and killed than people who are struck by lightning and killed or who like stick their finger in an outlet or something and killed. So like in that instance, it's probably unusual, not necessarily cruel. I mean, you could, you could say any way to kill someone is cruel if you really wanted to get into that constitutional debate. But you know, I, I think, I think that, uh, you know, shocking someone to death might also be a little unusual versus shooting someone. Cause that happens all the time. That's not unusual at all. Um, on August 5th, 1890 prison executioners successfully tested the chair on a horse and concluded that Kimmler's execution was good to go. So let's just electrocute this horse to death to make sure that it can kill a human. Oh, it can. Cool. Great. Kimmler, get on the seat. Um, the next morning, Kemmler was awoken at 5 a.m., given a breakfast, and had his head shaved. Sure. Um, he was then ushered into the execution room where 17 witnesses waited. Gentlemen, I wish you good luck, said Kemmler as he looked at the chair. I believe I'm going to a good place. I'm ready to go. And that's what happened. Uh, after having two electrical leads attached to his body, Kemmler was strapped to the chair and had a metal restraint placed over his head, uh, which then obscured his face. Uh, the executioner ordered that the switch be thrown and a thousand volts began coursing through Kimmler's body. Um, after 17 seconds, the power was turned off and Kimmler was declared dead. The only problem with that was that he was not dead. Uh, several witnesses pointed out that Kimmler was still breathing and one of the attending physicians ordered the switch to be thrown again, but this time with 2000 volts instead of a thousand. Uh, within seconds, blood vessels beneath Kimmler's skin ruptured and his body began bruising. Uh, the putrid smell of rotting flesh began wafting through the room, causing a few witnesses to run out, just gagging. Uh, eight minutes after the entire ordeal began, Kimmler was finally pronounced dead. So uh, the first person to ever be executed in the electric chair, born in Philadelphia. Good job, guys. Um Small story, short, small, weird story here before we get to the last one. Uh, in 1950, several police officers watched as something that looked like a parachute floated down from the sky and landed in a patch of grass. And when officers arrived at the site, they found a six-foot-wide purple goopy mass just laying on the ground. It was radiating this weird mist, and it was filled with what looked like crystals. Uh, one officer actually touched it, which left his hand feeling sticky. The other officers that were there called for backup as well as the FBI to come figure out what this was. Um, nearly 30 minutes later, before help could arrive, the mysterious blob just dissolved into nothing, leaving no trace of its existence. 
Um, this weird blob was reported on local and nationwide outlets over the next few days, but it was kind of just treated as a joke. Um, the FBI asked the Air Force to look into it because obviously they would have all the answers because the Air Force rules the air. And that's where the blob came from. Uh, but the Air Force declined, leaving the entire event to mystery and imagination forever. Um, this actually inspired two highly dramatized and fictionalized sci-fi movies about it in 1958 and 1988. So, uh, yeah, the, the Philadelphia Blob. Like, what was it? It's just a big old mass of goop that fell from the sky. Like, no one has any idea what it is. Um, our final story here is the story of Ed Savitz. And uh, Ed was born to a family of Jewish-Russian immigrants in Philadelphia on February 22nd, 1942. Uh, as a child, he helped his family run their arcade that they operated in the city. And by all accounts, I mean, he was a really great kid. Um, he even graduated as the valedictorian of his high school. He was voted most likely to succeed, and he even received a full scholarship to the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, however, he dropped out after two years and enrolled in Temple University's music school, which is markedly less prestigious than an Ivy League school like University of Pennsylvania. Um, after another two years, he then dropped out again. But despite dropping out of school and, and you know, whatever issues he was having then, uh, Ed married his high school sweetheart in 1963, Judith Whitman, who went on to become a prominent family lawyer in the city. Uh, but after 10 years into the marriage, the couple divorced and Ed just completely lost his mind. Uh, he got an apartment in downtown Philadelphia and began making friends with all the teenage metalheads in the area. Uh, in 1975, two years after his divorce, Ed had made a reputation for himself as a reliable source of cash, concert tickets, football tickets, you know, whatever the teens in the area wanted, as long as they did a few favors. And those favors, you know, just included like things like babysitting his dog and volunteering with him at the Special Olympics, you know, good stuff like that, right? Are you, do you believe me? Well, you shouldn't because that's not at all what those kind of favors were. Uh, instead, Ed was offering cash and tickets in exchange for the teen soiled underwear, as well as various sexual acts that included, but were not limited to like mouth stuff, butt stuff, sword fights with wieners, not actual swords, uh, peeing on him, puking and defecating in his mouth and slamming his wiener in a door. Okay. <laughs> uh, he purchased feces from the boys and kept them in a pizza box um he even asked them to eat lots of cheese so it would taste better yeah philly good job way to stay classy god oh so gross oh this episode is so disgusting um and here's what i don't know if this is even more amazing or not but this behavior continued for the next 15 years um finally after an arrest for an indecent assault that was expunged from his record following the completion of a rehabilitation course, uh, Edward or Ed continued his weird underwear business for the next 12 years before being arrested again in 1990 for purchasing a miner's soiled underwear. Um, however, likely because no one thought anyone would be sick enough to ever actually do that, a jury found him not guilty. Uh, two years later, Philadelphia's sex crime unit had finally gathered enough evidence on Ed Savitz to conduct uh, an actual official investigation into just how weird he actually was. After six months, investigators obtained permission to install a wiretap and hidden camera in his home. I don't know if they uh, obtained permission from Ed to do that, but if they got his permission, it seems pretty stupid. Um, on March 25th, police then watched Ed ask two 15-year-olds for a little mouth hug. And that was all the proof that they needed to barge in and haul him off to jail. Uh, when investigators searched Ed's apartment, 
get ready for this, they found 5,000 pictures of teenage boys and 312 soiled pairs of underwear. (laughs) So gross. Uh, To make things worse, police learned that Ed had been declared HIV positive a year before, but he continued to have unprotected sex with whatever teenage boy was dumb enough to do it. Yay, Philly! Good job! Ah! Uh, And here's the thing. Here's the thing. Despite setting his bail at $3 million, Ed somehow posted it and walked away. Back out into the world. Uh, Fortunately, he was arrested the next day after two more complaints against him were verified. Uh, Bail was then set to $20 million, which he could not post. And uh, Ed died on March 27th, 1993 from AIDS, a week before his trial was set to begin. So, um, God, part of me wishes his trial would have actually started just so we can learn all about all of the other things that he did. Um, but yeah, just gross. And um, we're going to take, I'm, I'm going to take us out on probably the most appropriate song to end story time here. deep cut uh neil young's philadelphia uh from the movie philadelphia which was about a guy who got aids and died so it's like the theme to ed savitz's life but probably less gross um anyway uh yeah so there you go there's the story uh there's some of the history of philadelphia um you know I, i mean it's I've put it down. All right. I've been to Philadelphia a couple of times. Um, I just, I think it's overrated as a city. You know, I I think that, uh, you know, New York, New York city lives up to the hype. Great city, Boston overrated, Philadelphia overrated. All right. Baltimore accurately rated. Everyone agrees that it's trash. All right. Um, so yeah, uh, along with, uh, being, extremely grossed out. Let's revisit some of the things that we talked about today and see what we learned. What did we learn? Number one, yellow fever is caused by mosquitoes. It is contagious, but once you start vomiting black, apparently you're fine until you die. Um, Number two, a mysterious blob fell from the sky in Philadelphia. No one has any idea what it was, where it came from, or where it went. And apparently not another one has come from the sky since. So who knows? Maybe it was, you know, an alien ship that was, that, you know, emptied out its sewage systems or something. I don't know. Sure. Uh, And then number three, Ed Savitz, the classiest of classy gentlemen. Uh, 
paid boys to pee on him, poop on him, vomit on him, slam his wiener in a door, uh, all kinds of just crazy messed up stuff. So, uh, he was probably the reincarnation of Albert Fish, uh, if you remember that from back in like episode 10, I think. So there you go. Stay classy, Philly. Next week on Our Weird World, we're going to have a fun and definitely less gross episode uh, when we look at some terrorists who were really bad at being terrorists. Uh, We're going to look at the stories of Omer Tokat, uh, the attack at the Thomas Jefferson Cultural Se- uh, Cultural Center, uh, the USS The Sullivans, Deeren Barrow, uh, and the incident at the Glasgow Airport. So uh, a lot of bad terrorists failing at being terrorists. It's going to be a fun time. We get to laugh at terrible people who just sucked at being terrible. It's going to be a good time. Uh, thank you all for listening. Sorry if I made you sick, but whatever. You'll get over it. Uh, keep telling all your friends, hey, this will be a good episode to play them. Good first episode for people to hear. Get, let them get a real good feel for what this show's about. Uh, and yeah, uh, we're going to close out the show uh, returning to uh, the movie Philadelphia with uh, Bruce Springsteen's song, The Streets of Philadelphia. Uh, I hate that I'm actually even putting him in here. It's Bruce Springsteen, way overrated. Uh, if you like Bruce Springsteen, I hope that that statement triggers you. Because it just means that you lack any sort of musical taste whatsoever. You probably also like Dave Matthews, which just shows you, (laughs) which just shows what lack in music taste you have. Um, If your favorite artists are Bruce Springsteen and Dave Matthews, what's funny is I know people who love Bruce Springsteen and Dave Matthews. And so I really only say that just to trigger them and make them feel attacked. And that's fun for me. All right. Hope you hope you enjoyed it, everyone. Keep it weird. I was bruised and battered, I couldn't tell what I felt. I Unrecognizable to myself I saw my reflection in a window And didn't know my own face So oh, brother, are you gonna leave me wasting away? 